Happy Monday, everyone, and welcome to the Soccer Phil Show, hosted by Phil Zayas. This is a show that encompasses everything soccer, from grassroots to pro stadiums. Welcome to the Soccer Phil Show. This is Phil Zayas coming to you from beautiful Fort Lauderdale, Florida. On today's show, we have head coach Brian McMahon from Palm Beach Atlantic University. Um, And today we'll be discussing recruiting agencies and the pros and cons of them. And um, just to provide information about um, different, you know, recruiting agencies, what they do and how they can help you. And and um, maybe we can give some feedback to them as well as to how they can provide great service. So with that being said, uh, Coach Brian, welcome to the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on and uh, look forward to the conversation. Absolutely. So what sparked this, uh, me wanting to do this topic was actually, I saw something you posted on Facebook and, um, you know, I think it, uh, struck a chord with a lot of people, especially a lot of college coaches. And, you know, obviously as a college coach myself, um, I use recruiting, you know, have used recruiting agencies plenty, uh, throughout the years. And, um, actually my, when I was at Johnson and Wales university, um, I mean, I built that program off of one or two, uh, agencies so and they were very helpful and I think there's a lot of good ones and obviously you know you know with the good comes the bad there's obviously some bad ones as well but I I wanted to talk a little bit about your post and um, just to let you give you the opportunity to elaborate a little bit and and just I think it would provide for great conversation and you know this podcast is mainly really to educate people and so um, I think us being in the South Florida area as you probably know there's a lot of uh, very uninformed youth soccer players and parents that um, could learn from this as well as, as well as coaches. And, um, and obviously if we can help with these recruiting services as well, and just give them some feedback, I'm sure it will help them and, and help us in the long run as well. So it'll just be uh, helpful to every, anyone, everyone. So Brian, where do you want to start with this? Cause it was, I mean, I loved your post. It was awesome. It was, uh, you know, it was, um, Obviously, I think it was very accurate, but also, um, you know, you, you said everything in a respectful, tactful way. And um, it was just I think it was educational. So I wanted to to, to chat about it. Um, where would you like to start? Because I, I have your bullet points here in front of me. And it's, um, you know, we can go one by one. Or how would you like to start with it? Well, you know, first off, thanks for, again, having me on. And, and it's a it's a topic I'm happy to have a conversation with. You know, it the interesting thing about the, the post that I put, it was, you know, again, it's just my thoughts relative to recruiting agencies, recruiting services. Um, you know, I've been in the college game and around the game since 1994. And if there's one thing that I've seen that's significantly changed, it is that aspect of recruitment. And, you know, I, I was told early on in my recruit, you know, career as a coach, you can be a great coach, you can have great chemistry with your team, but if you don't have, if you don't have the level of talent of your players, it will be difficult to compete at the highest level. And so recruiting is just something that I've just always really focused in on and studied and learned and, and talked to so many coaches across the country. I've given a lot of lectures across the country on recruiting and recruiting agencies or services, whether American-based or international-based, um, is is really the biggest change that I've seen in in collegiate recruitment. And um, 
you know, I, I, the other thing that I found interesting, I, I went back is, is, I mean, there's been dozens of comments from this and from my post. The other thing that's interesting is I've had so many agencies and college coaches reach out to me and say, you know, just giving me their own feedback or their own thoughts. And sometimes it's like, you're, you're so right, but this company does this, this company does that. And I guess you could start with saying that, that, that's not my, that wasn't my post was to have any one specific um, agency or, or recruiting service uh, to, to put a knock on them or to talk bad about anyone. Uh, I just think there's some very uneducated um, recruiting services that are kind of almost popping up daily that they think it's a good idea, but in the end, the student athlete is the one paying for their lack of knowledge, which is my concern is the student athlete, I guess, was was the aspect of the post. So that that maybe give a little bit of an overview of, of where my post came from. Yeah, well, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, but you know, before we go any deeper, I, I wanted to ask you this because I know a little bit, but I, I should have maybe shared this with the audience. But um, I, I know you've been at PBA for how long now? I've been at Palm Beach Atlantic University for seven years, since 2014. Okay, and, and you came from an NAI school. Which, which school was that? Correct. I came from Bellhaven University, which was in Jackson, uh, Mississippi, had a good uh, couple years there, and um, and then before then, uh, I was at uh, Greenville uh, University, which is in St. Louis, uh, which was a uh, NCAA Division three school. So, wow. I guess you could say my my background, is, you know, as a coach, is I've been involved in NCAA Division three, NAI, NCAA D two, as well as uh, NCCAA. Many people don't know a lot about that affiliation, but National Christian College Athletic Association Division one, and that level. So I've I've kind of had the full gamut of of background of of you know collegiate coaching experience. Now, Coach, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you did you guys competed for a national championship or won one or more at Bellhaven, didn't you? Correct. Yes. Uh, 2012, fortunate to win a national championship as a head coach uh, with that group. And uh, 2013 at Bellhaven, we finished, actually, we lost in double overtime and uh, lost to, in the Elite Eight to the eventual national champions who went on to win it. So, um, yeah, I've had some uh, some pretty, pretty special teams through the years. And, um, uh, yeah, that uh, that 2012 team, of course, will will always be special for for winning a national championship. Absolutely, uh, I, I could imagine. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, it's interesting because you have that background of the different levels. Um, that you know, one of the things I know your your posts had mentioned is about you know just the confusion on the levels, um, not only from recruiting agencies but obviously the players. And to me, that's you know, uh, another topic uh, that I'm sure we'll get into uh, during this conversation. But um, but your background, it's great because you can provide that idea. You know, you can provide a good idea to anyone listening about the levels. And, and I think there's a huge misconception there um, in regards yeah. to, to the levels. So um, obviously from, you know, players, it, it's funny because I was at an NAI school for nine years at Johnson & Wales. And I mean, I had guys sometimes saying, coach, I really want to step it up and, you know, go play for a D2. And there was times that I was like, well, yeah, you could do that. But I, I think the team you want to go to, we we probably could beat, you know, so it wasn't necessarily a step up in in the level of play. So I think you addressed that in your post. And uh, 
you, I guess we could start with that. You want to elaborate a little bit about that and what your thoughts are in regards to the levels? Sure. I'm happy to, you know, I, having been at, at various levels across the country, as well as now at, uh, at PBA, um, it, it is a, it's a major misconception of the highest level of football, highest level of soccer is, is at D1, right? And, and that's just simply not, not true. Um, there are some very, very good coaches, some very, very good programs, and some very good players across the country at all levels. And just because, you know, the, the misconception comes from other sports, other American sports. Let's say American football, right? So I grew up in Ohio, and I'm a big Buckeye fan, a big Ohio State uh, football, American football fan. And if you compare Ohio State football maybe to a, um, you know, I don't know, a, a – a D3 or a D2 American football team, more often than not, for sure, that that result is going to be kind of one-sided. But it's not that way. It's not that way in soccer, right? There are some the, – the best teams in the country at all levels, um, you know, it's balanced. It's balanced in soccer. And, and, you know, at one time I wouldn't have seen it that way, but having played even when I was at Greenville, a D3 school, and having beaten so many Division One teams even when I was a D3 head coach – um, to now, since I've been at Palm Beach Atlantic, I mean, we rarely lose to, to top 25 division one teams. Um, it's just, there's just some very, very good levels of, of, of play across the country. Now is, is, is division one. You can look at the ACC as a top level conference in the country. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Take nothing away from that. I think the depth and athleticism that they would have, but, I think in a one-off game, um, you know, I remember when we beat Lindsey Wilson in the Final Four in 2012 um, in NAI, Lindsey Wilson that year beat Indiana University 3-1, to one, and IU won the Division I National Championship. I remember um, that. You know, and it, it's just the game of soccer, the game of football is very balanced across the country, and... Uh, again, this is not a knock on any division or not to say that D1 is not an excellent level because, of course, it is. Um, but just to say I'm going to this school because they're D1 and this is a better level, you know, I think a lot of agencies make that mistake. And I see it because they want to promote their players going or signing for so many D1 schools. And when you're abroad and you're an international player and you don't necessarily understand the level, that terminology gets overplayed, overused in a very big misconception of what agencies are doing. Yeah. Well, I, I think the same could even be said for, you know, clubs here in the United States that are trying to move their players on to the college game. If, if I'm a, at an NAI or a, or a D2 program and I'm recruiting, going after a kid, um, but that kid could go to a mid-major that maybe my – could be um chances are the club is going to try to push that guy to a d1 because it looks better for the club um you know so that way they could put that up on their website and but it's not always what's in the best interest of the kid for their experience the 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 situation i always find interesting is the kid that is not the best student or maybe they're an average student but would and would really struggle in a big environment. Like if they go to a school with 60,000 students, they're just going to get lost in the shuffle. So there's some kids that 
for me, a smaller environment would be a great fit for them. And it doesn't mean a backwards move from a soccer football perspective, but yet the people around them are pushing them and feeding them the idea of, of, of D one. So I, I, I think, you know, this, I guess the same thing could be said for the clubs here too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Again, it's, it's this misconception of, of D one recruiting. And, you know, again, it, a lot of it has to do with the American sports based concept. So rivals.com is a website I follow and I love following it. Right. I love to see who Ohio state football or Ohio state basketball has signed, but I just don't think it translates well into the sport of soccer because of the global aspect of the game. And when, when clubs start saying we've sent so many players D one, like I immediately think, okay, this is not a valid, (laughs) this is not a valid club uh, promoter because they really don't understand the differences in levels across the country of, of programs and how good some programs and coaches are. And again, you know, I've, been in the game since 1994 and I've seen in daily and interacted with daily so many uh, quality coaches and programs and the experience that kids get across the country is not based on a division or a level. It's really based on individual aspects of the program and that coach and the experience that one player could get from one over, you know, from one program to the next could be, could is totally not based on any aspect of division. Yeah. I mean, I think in the, at the end of the day, you know, what I've always tried to educate my youth players, cause I run a few youth clubs during my, my coaching career. Um, I, I've always tried to get them to see the big picture in that, you know, they want to have a great experience. They want to be, they want to go somewhere that's going to fit them athletically, academically, and, um, and have a good overall experience. And if a player is good enough to be at a D1 school, but is just good enough to make the roster and they're never going to play, then are you really having a great experience to where if you go to a D3 or a D2 and you're starting and you're contributing and maybe you're even the captain or whatever, I mean, to me, that's a much better experience. Um, That said, there's plenty of D2s and D3s, as you know, that are better than those D1 or D2s. So, it, you know, it, it's all just about finding – to me, it's about finding the right fit for the kid. You know, if you're – whether you're, um, you know, you're, you have a recruiting agency or you're working with a club, um, you know, hopefully when people hear this podcast, they walk away with that and can do a better job of educating these kids. So, right. and I, the global aspect, I mean, com, can, you know, compared to American sports, I mean, if you look at some of the rosters, as you know, I'm sure you have a lot of internationals. And when I was at Johnson Hills, I had a lot of internationals. And sometimes I'd be knocked for that because they'd say, well, you know, why don't you look at more of the American players? But it was hard to get, you know, American players at the level that I wanted because they were they had their eyes set on the D1 prize, you know, and it was very difficult to recruit them where the internationals um competed at a very high level they were at top clubs in their country and they look at the opportunity a little bit differently right right i mean it you're touching obviously on a sensitive subject especially in today's age and what you can say equivalently is that the game of soccer is certainly a global game and and it unites the world literally in terms of the game and style and, and backgrounds and 
you know, I remember, if, you know, not too long ago, we brought in a an under 20 U.S. national team uh, uh, player from the, you know, men's national team program here. And and he was in a competing spot from a player who just had got done the previous year with the Bayern Munich under 18s. And and it was, a, you know, both players were great players. But I remember thinking there, I mean, it's not just it's not just players who, who grew up in the United States or any one country. You literally are competing for roster spots and playing time against players from across the world. And, and many players internationally realized that maybe their Amer- the dream of going pro or signing pro didn't really happen for them. And, and then what, right? Then what? Well, the, the great thing about the American, you know, collegiate system is that we can intertwine a good level of play of soccer as well as quality education. And not every international country has that opportunity. It's usually kind of either or with many countries. You either do a great education or you're involved in a professional, you know, football club, soccer club. So in this case, the fact that the U.S. system can provide both is, is in my opinion, one of the appeals for international players. Absolutely. I think especially considering – you know, especially in, in most parts of the world, when a player hits 18 years old, um, if they sign a pro contract, their soccer career is pretty much done. So over here, we kind of extend their uh, their opportunity to play. Right, right. And really, I mean, if you look at it, sometimes you do the math. I mean, an education may be paying you more. If someone gets a, a good scholarship, it could be paying you actually more than – even some professional contracts. Right. Yep. Exactly. It's a good opportunity for education. Yes. Really. So, um, I, uh, okay. So I want to move on to the next one. So, um, you, you touched about style of play, right. You know, and I think that's obviously important for players and recruiting agencies to look at if, when they're, when they're trying to help place a player, or if a club is trying to place a player or even a player on their own is just trying to find the right fit for them. And they, they don't, maybe they don't have the help. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that and how it impacts the recruiting process? Sure. Uh, you know, if one of the things I should give is a little bit of a background to that, if someone doesn't necessarily know, or is not a collegiate coach to provide insight, uh, we get daily you know, emails from recruits. And I realized very much the power of, of, you know, coaching at a university in Florida, like the first year that I was here. So, you know, I counted one time, I had 43 different recruits email me one day, right? That's just one day. And they send me their profiles and agencies send me their info and, you know, and et cetera. So we get overloaded, right? With, with information from level of recruits and we're, where the second point is how many times I get an agency that says, you know, uh, John Doe player from whatever club is, has looked at your universe, your university, and he, he fits your system perfectly. And we think that he is able to play at your level. But in reality, I've never had conversation with that agency before that agency has literally sent copy and paste to probably a hundred other university programs. And what they're really trying to do is, is kind of the, I call it going fishing, right? So they've got a player that they're trying to market. 
So they're kind of using broad statements of he's the perfect player for you, the way that you play or for your system. Well, in reality, maybe not, right? Maybe not. If I look at our own conference, and, and let me put out there right away, there's some terrific pro conference and some very good coaches that I have complete respect for. But, but we try to play maybe a little bit different style of play. So there are players that in our conference that maybe I would not um, I would maybe not pursue, whereas another coach in our program would absolutely pursue because it has the skill set or maybe the size or physicality or whatever it could be, right? And But yet we're getting the same email from the agency that says he fixed your system perfectly. Mm-hmm. Really individualized. They really don't know me. They don't know our program. They don't know kind of the way that we try to play and the style that we try to play. But yet they're saying he's the perfect fit for our system. And it's a copy and paste email that they're sending out to hundreds of different coaches across the country. And it's just not it's just simply not true. It's just not true. All right. So I have a a good question for you. Do you you read all of them? I mean, realistically, I mean, considering you get 43 emails. I mean, I'm going to be honest, like I used to get, I'd say, between 40 and 50 a day being in Miami when I was at Johnson Wales. And it was just and sometimes more. And so. You know, I kind of sometimes would have to figure out which ones to really pay attention to and which ones to just disregard because I knew it was, uh, you know, more of a, a spam, a spam type. Right. Right. Uh, there's some there's some immediate giveaways. Right. So some of them, this would be funny for anyone listening to see the amount of times I get an email from an agency or or a recruit or a recruit that says, uh, you know, dear coach uh, McMahon, which is which is my name to attend Lynn University because my dream school has and attend Nova Southeastern, right? And it's like, wait, what? You just put three different universities, right, all in one email to my name, right? And so we always get those as coaches in our conference. And so, you know, and we always kind of forward them to us. So, uh, you know, Coach Roots at uh, at Lynn sent me one this week where it was addressed to me but but sent to him. Uh, coach Adrian Bush at Tampa did, did one, I think last week. I mean, so first and foremost to that question is, 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 is it even a specific email? Right. And, and does it address our university? Does it address anything specific about our program? And, and a lot of times if, if the, the, the CC is just to hundreds, it's an immediate delete, right? I, I just don't even take the time to read that because they're just, it's not a specific, it's not a personalized email. It's an email that goes out to hundreds of coaches, but yet the agency is saying, I've got the perfect player that fits your system perfectly. You know, in reality, you don't, you know, you, again, you're just fishing. You're just looking for someone to have interest at all so that you can try to move your recruit on. When in reality, the recruit, the student athlete is the one paying for it because they're not necessarily getting specific attention of a good situation where their skill sets could, could step in to contribute in that program. Yeah. Okay. No, that's great. Great feedback. Um, okay. So there was a few other um, points you made in your, in your, um, your post that one of them was about, you said, uh, stop playing the game, recruiting agencies, stop marketing your players against coaches and rival schools. Let's talk about that a little bit. And I've been through that. And, um, and then obviously the financial piece goes into that, right? Like, um, you know, when someone's maybe trying to um, 
play one against the other to try to raise the value uh, and get more scholarship money for the player, which I understand. I mean, obviously they want to help their kids as much as possible. I, I, I can understand that, but um, you know, one of the things you said also was be honest. So I think the honesty and integrity is all a part of that statement as well. So you want to talk a little bit about that piece of it? Sure. Um, you know, the, again, the, the whole the whole background aspect of this is is taking into account a student athlete's needs. And and there's a co- I, don't, I don't want to talk about any specific agencies, but there's some agencies out there that take on hundreds of kids. And and it's just like it's like selling cars. Right. It's just like the more cars we can make, the more profit that we get. And and it's not individualized, you know, situations. And so what you get is this mass marketing of players and just say I got a good player do you want them or not but what I've started to see really over the last two years is um, agencies threatening um, maybe threatening is is a you know over the top word but uh, that type of concept of well you know he's either going to go to you or xyz school in your conference so you better take them but xyz school has offered let's just throw out round numbers they've offered ten thousand so you need to offer $10,001. And if you do, then he'll come to you. And then what happens is you're like, well, you know, I, I really like him. Can we work it out? So then you offer $10,001. And then a week later, the agency will come back or a couple of days later. Well, XYZ schools now offered $10,002. So you're going to have to, you know, you really, the money is important and et cetera, et cetera. So you're going to have to offer $10,003. So again, I'm being very general here, but the point is, is agencies are really playing this game, talking up one school over another and really trying to run up the scholarship offer where in the end, it's again, it's all this concept of getting the best deal. When in reality, maybe, maybe myself at PBA and another school that the, that the student athletes looking at could not be more opposite in terms of style of play or way that we try to run our program, or maybe even the academic majors aren't even the same from one school to the other, but it's really just playing this game of talking up one school over another, threatening that if you don't get him, he's going somewhere else. It's, it's, it's just it's picking a value. It's putting money on it over the experience that the student athlete could get, which I think ultimately sets a student athlete up for failure. Um, and that is where my whole again, where the whole aspect predicates from is is putting out what's best for student athletes of helping place them from one school to another. Yeah. Now, I, I, I do know I do know that some of the agencies make their money based on the amount of the scholarship so for example if i offer a kid 50 percent and you offer them 75 percent then the agency gets more money based on the bigger scholarship offer so you know but have you noticed with those companies that um those are the ones trying to really push the envelope when it comes to the dollar amount again you know to my understanding, it, that per NCAA rules is illegal. Um, agencies have to have a set rate fee in order to, uh, you know, to work with with a player. And so, whether they get a scholarship, scholarship or full ride, the amount of money an agency gets based on an offer is illegal 
as I understand it, per NCAA rules based on the based on the offer that they get. So I personally have not worked with any agencies or at least <laughs> at least, of course, to my knowledge, have not worked with on any agencies that are getting X amount of dollars based on how much the student athlete gets. Does that happen? Can it happen? Um I'm sure. And absolutely, you know, maybe at other, at other divisions, whether I'm not sure about NAI, I'm not sure about NCAA division three or junior college, um, you know, USCAA and CCAA, you know, maybe that could be the case in, in, you know, where there's not sanctions or rules against that, but uh, yeah, I'm sure that is on maybe behind the scenes, but it's not certainly I've ever, I'm ever aware of if it has it, nor am I, nor do I even value that aspect because I think it's just predicated wrong to begin with, because then it's about how much an agency can get based on the offer that they, that they receive. Yeah. So I, I think the ones that do that are primarily pushing the kids to NAI schools um, right. where, you know, there's no rule against that. I, I'm pretty sure that's, that's the case. Um, so, you know, the last um I mean, obviously, and you, you commented about building relationships, and I think most college coaches, you know, feel more comfortable. And I think coaches at any level, I mean, whether it's pro, college, usually feel more comfortable recruiting from people they know because they trust their opinion a little bit more and, you know, they, they know their motives and intentions and probably feel more comfortable. So I know you mentioned about building relationships um, with schools. You want to touch touch on that a little bit? Yeah, you know, it... I w- again, I want to go back to what I said at the beginning, recruiting agencies and recruiting services. I, I, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at without them. And, and there are some really, really quality um, agencies out there that put the kids first, that really invest into the student athletes, really do try to help and place them. And again, whether it's a international uh, recruiting agency or, or even working with an American high school coach or, Amer- or a club coach or even working with parents, right? So there's some really quality interactions and relationships that need to take place in recruitment. Um, so, but what I found is, you know, if you have agencies that you have frequent contact with or you have a high school that you have frequent contact with or a club coach or those types of things, and they and they've had a player come through your program before. They have an understanding on what you're looking for. And then there's also a comparison. So if you say that, you know, John Doe was this fast and he was this type of player, then in, in the, the coach of the agency says, you know, he's maybe not as fast as John Doe, but maybe he's a little more technical. Then you've got that comparison. Then, then it helps to better understand the, the player that you're considering or, look, or, or, or working with. And so, you know, again, building that relationship, coaches who, who understand and in international agencies or, or club coaches or even parents who understand really kind of the background of, of what your program is about, that's a trustworthy source, right? Your, your first recruiters are your players because your players know friends and, and know, you know, know the level that you're looking for and know if a player can play or not. But then outside of that, you're talking to scouting companies, recruiting agencies, um, you know, then it comes down to previous experiences that you've had before. And I have a lot of coaching friends who have literally just banned or will not work with certain agencies. I had a friend of mine uh, yesterday from a school in Alabama uh, who said, I- I'm done working with 
XYZ agency because, you know, it's twice now that they've told me a player, you know, um, is really, really going to step in and start and, and be this and, and that. And, and then the player gets there and they're just, you know, they haven't been to the level. And again, whether right or wrong, that's that coach's perception. But the point is, is, you know, you have to have you have to have people who understand what you're looking for and the style of player and actually the level that you're competing at, you know. So in our conference, for example, we've got a lot of older, more mature players. And my goalkeeper this past year was uh, 34 years old. And and but yet 100 percent NCAA Division two, you know, eligible. Whereas, um, you know, maybe some, you know, he wouldn't he wouldn't have been eligible in NCAA Division one. Um, so, again, agencies who understand that know the eligibility rules and backgrounds is, is a pretty big deal. Well, I've got two years of eligibility, coach. I'm 44, but I'm telling you, I can still play the 10. Well, so just there you go. There you go. See that would that would that break some barriers there. You're you're, you're ten years older than my keeper, but uh, you know you still got a chance. <laughs> um, hey, one the last thing I'll I'll, I'll bring up. All right, I think it'll be the last thing at least. Um, you mentioned you know about the dream of playing pro and selling that dream. Um, I mean, obviously, this things have really changed in the United States. I mean, the game has evolved just in the past few years where we see 15 and 16 year olds signing pro contracts. I mean, things are really changing here in the United States, but um, um, in regards to the college game, um, you know, I, I, I assume based on your comment, um, you know, that's part of, that's part of, I guess the sales pitch that some agencies or clubs would would maybe tell their players hey if you go to this school you have a better chance of playing pro or or something like that so you you want to you want to talk about that a little yeah 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 again this is the conversation i could talk a lot about and for a long time since i've been at palm beach atlantic um our sid did something recently we calculated i think i've had 14 players that have have signed professional contracts coming out of pba and that's been since 2014 now, different levels. So when you say pro, obviously, there's different levels of professional. There's anything from indoor to USL1, USL Championship, MLS, or, of course, professional opportunities abroad, which, you know, many of our guys have had as well. The thing that I find, and, and there was a situation within the last couple of years that really, to be honest with you, frustrated me. So we had a player come into our program who, unbeknownst to me, um, was – was, it was an international player, was promised that when he showed up and played in our conference and for our school, not only would I, would I you know, um, like talk about scholarship and scholarship would not be an issue, but that he, he, would, he would clearly show how good he was and he would be able to turn, you know, professional right away from PBA. Well, the whole aspect of that, that concept come to find out later is is wrong first and foremost you know going pro should be a secondary option right your first and foremost aspect we're educational institutions and in my job as a as a coach is to try to prepare my players for life right i call it the game of life so being a better father being a better husband being a better you know professional in some aspect of their career so if if professional opportunities come available in the game of soccer awesome right? That's, that's terrific. 
But at the end of the day, that's not my goal is to bring in players to turn them pro, you know, pro in soccer. And, and two, you know, I've, I, since that point, I've had several conversations with coaches like, Coach, when's the last time you've brought in a player who was a first-year player to your program who came in and hit, hit you know, hit, hit the ball running and, and right away we're just a dominant player? And it's rare. It's really, really rare because it's not that the game of soccer is just that much more amazing than anywhere else in the world. It's that there's so many challenges of adjustment, you know, the the class adjustment, the social life, the the American college system where sometimes you have three, maybe four games, really four games in a week and very little recovery time. I mean, uh, Coach Adrian Bush, I remember him telling me a couple of years ago, like, University of Tampa's season was 57 days long. And, and, you know, that's so short. It's so short an amount of time. And for an international play, player coming in, when they're used to playing 10 months and then all of a sudden, you know, they're done in 57 days, it's just a, it's just a totally different concept. Mm-hmm. And so the agency selling this dream that, you know, you won't need to worry about scholarship. Their coaches will, will try to take care of everything for you. And you're going to go pro after a year. PBA sent a lot of players professionally. So you definitely would be at the best or top of that list. Um, it, it's just simply not true. And what it is is an agency just trying to, uh, you know, move a player on. And, and, and it, again, the student athlete is the one paying for it in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my frustration, because I've had that, but I've also had at the youth level. So, for example, um, I've had some older boys, like seventeen, between 17 and 19, you know, talk about, and they're local kids here in South Florida, and they talk about how they don't want to entertain college because they want to play pro. But I know that they can't, there's no way they could even crack your 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 team like they couldn't even make your team at pba or or they would have struggled to play for me at johnson and wales when i was there but yet they're talking about pro and they're being fed this idea um usually from the club coach or um you know or or, or someone close to them maybe even a high school coach so um i think it's it's something that's thrown around there often i mean the cool thing is and this is what I love about the game in this country is that there are, there's opportunities are very real. Like, so a kid technically could come to PBA and I I'm sure that if they were good enough, you'd have no problem helping them and trying to push them to that level. Um, but I don't, but agreed it shouldn't be the sales pitch to get them there. Like the kids should be focused on coming here, getting a good education to uh, you know, to provide a better life for himself later on down the line. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, turning professional in the game of soccer, let's say even as an international is extremely different, you know, difficult. So and, and today, you know, like we're in the at the time of this broadcast, we're in May. I mean, a lot of our guys are playing, you, uh, you know, USL2, UPSL, NPSL. You know, a lot of our guys are even playing through the course of the summer trying to, you know, enhance their career, promote themselves, get experience, et cetera. I mean, it, it's very difficult. And obviously COVID has even made that more challenging in terms of uh, obtaining a roster spot. So turning professional sometimes is a little, about, a little bit about luck. It's about timing. It's about references. 
Um, and of course, at the end of the day, very, very few players get signed immediately right out of college. You have to go through this trial period where you have to prove yourselves as well. Um, and to be honest, if I was a professional coach, I'd do the same. I would want to bring a player in on trial, right? And, and maybe see how they do. So, you know, turning professional and, and promising a high school kid that if you go to this university, you know, then, then you'll be good enough to turn pro is just false advertising. It's this concept of the American dream, I call it, which, which just is not reality. And, and again, it's not my focus either is to turn players professional in soccer. They're, they're, you know, that's a, that's a secondary, you know, option really, again, the aspect of turning pro in terms of the game of life is way more important. Um, you know, because father time catches up with us all. And so if, if a player just really focuses on the turning professional in soccer is the only reason why they choose a university, it's really setting that student athlete up for, uh, you know, for failure, in my opinion. The full ride. <laughs> Let's talk about that, because obviously that's another topic and, and we can go in a million directions here. But as you know, and uh, I'm sure we you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about that. And I think that's something that also, you know, not only recruiting agencies, yeah. but club coaches, parents, players all need to be educated about in regards to the the full ride right college level so you, you want to share your thoughts on that a little bit I've, I've always had the joke uh when i recruit and i talk to recruits that if lionel messi or cristiano ronaldo wanted to play at palm beach atlantic university they would have to be walk-on players and it always brings about a laugh to a family but in reality it's true now they wouldn't be eligible of course but the point is is if you're going to be a good collegiate coach you've got to be a good accountant. And, and the reason that is, is if you look at, you know, professional soccer, you generally have this concept of your better players get the most money, right? So LeBron James in basketball is going to get the most money or, or Ronaldo or Messi, or, you know, those types of examples. In college, it's not that way. And the reason it's not that way is because of the limitations of equivalency and scholarship opportunities that student athlete has have just based on each division. So every division is different. And so that's one of the first things that parents should understand is, you know, I, I'm at an NCAA Division II school right now. Even if we were a fully funded program, and we're not, even if we were, we would only have nine scholarships. My understanding from from NCAA Division One is they're nine point nine scholarships. Um, NCAA Division Three does not have athletic scholarships, but may have things like leadership scholarships or different types of financial aid. Um, NAI, I believe, has maybe is it twelve, um, uh, twelve scholarships, and then and then junior colleges and even has more than that. So the point is, I currently have thirty two players on my roster. And I have, you know, let's say, let's say I'm fully funded again. I'm not, even if I was, I would have nine scholarships, but I, I have 32 players. So coaches make mistakes in my opinion, because if they offer, let's say a kid a full ride, or we're going to cover tuition and room and board and books and insurance. Then the only thing they're doing is taking away the depth of their team and one or two major injuries of coaches who recruit that way and their season is is shot because they don't have the depth. 
Yep. So you really have to be a good accountant and, and maybe sometimes, you know, uh, it would not be uncommon for guys on the bench for us, maybe to get a little bit more scholarship, but guys who are in the starting lineup, uh, could be a walk-on player, but that has nothing to do with their quote unquote value to the team of being on the field and has everything to do with just the assembly of the team for depth of a team, character of the team, level of the team. Uh, there's a lot of factors. So this concept of getting a full ride is really, again, it's, it's, it's really a myth. I mean, even, even some of the, many of the coaches that I talked to in say division one, division two, very, very rarely really put out that type of money in terms of covering tuition, room, board, books, insurance, you know, et cetera. Like two of the schools in our conference, I won't name them, but two of the schools in our conference, they gave them all of that. Still, those players, taxes they have to pay at those, at those particular universities, and they're not allowed to cover that expense. And those taxes are like $2,200. Um, so even that there's these types of hidden fees that, that parents or agencies may not even be aware of. Yeah. That's why I've always tried to tell the younger players at the club level and high school level that really where they're going to get a good chunk of their money is through academic money, you know, having good grades, you know, I mean, that's, and, and that's really how most coaches put together their packages through academic money. Uh, depending on the school, obviously everyone has a different, every school could have a different type of academic package, but academic money, financial aid, uh, FAFSA, if they're, uh, you know, a U.S. uh, US resident, and then, um, and then obviously some some athletic money. But yeah, if you only had nine players, uh, (laughs) you wouldn't be able to put a starting lineup out there. Right. Yeah. So you got to stretch that money the best way you can. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think for me, college athletics is about recruiting and, um, and managing that budget. If you can manage the budget well and, and recruit well, then that's half, at least more, probably more than half the battle, but, um, right. 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 Uh, so, um, you know, I guess, uh, in conclusion here, I just want to state that, you know, by no, in no way, shape or form was this to knock any of the, recruiting agencies. I, I think both of us are very grateful for, for all that they do because they're, they're, they're very helpful, uh, you know, to us and they help us to get the players we need. And, um, and so we definitely need them and we need their help. So I, I think the purpose of this podcast is just to, it's, it's really just about education and to help people improve, not just the recruiting agencies, but also, you know, a kid that might be listening to this or a parent or a club coach. Cause I've got, the audience is pretty interesting, um, and we've got right now 17 different countries that are listening to this podcast. So that's pretty cool, and um, the audience is growing, and it's different. You know, it's a lot of parents and and players, and so people from all over the world, and um, you know, just different uh, different different audiences. So uh, within the game, so coach, thank you very much for your time. I, I appreciate it, and I think your your info, all the info you provided, was very insightful and. Uh, I'm sure we educated a lot of people here today. So thank you very much for being on. Yeah, I appreciate it. You're welcome. And, and again, I, I want to reiterate exactly what you said. I'm extremely appreciative of the parents and, and coaches and friends and agencies that, I, that I've worked with. But this is more a little bit directed towards people considering getting into the business um, in, 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 you know, kind of things to look at and things to consider and, and um, 
you know, because it is difficult and, and there are over 3000 universities across the country. And, and so there's a lot to consider in this process. So, but, uh, yeah. make things personal, relate to the coach, connect with the coach, reach out to the coach personally, do your homework. It's better to send five personal emails than it is a hundred copy and paste. Um, you know, and so I always appreciate that. And for those, I always do read and I always do take the time to respond as well. So, uh, but yeah, again, uh, thank you for the time and appreciate the conversation here. And uh, hopefully it was insightful and, and uh, you know, great opportunity to just reflect and consider and bounce ideas. Absolutely. Hey, you know, one last thing I was just thinking about this while you were saying that is, you know, I feel partially responsible. And I think any of us that have coached at a school, we recruited a lot of guys that are studying sports administration. Um, you know, a lot of those guys came here, studied sports administration and then go back um, to their country and start one of these companies. So I, I, that's why it's like, I, we've seen this increase and in spike in those companies. And I, I understand why a lot of those guys came here, experienced it. And then they go back home to like share what they learned with, um, you know, their friends or, or people they know back home to start that business. So, um, so, you know, hopefully this reaches out to those guys too. And, um, you know, they can just continue to provide good service and even better service. So, well, if if those and, and I agree wholeheartedly with with the reason for the growth in it. But if you've got guys who are genuinely invested into the, the clientele they're working with and they want what's best for the student athlete, then that then that just reveals itself. Right. But if you've got guys who thinking, wow, this is a good way to make the way to make a lot of money and I can turn over a lot of profit. And, and then you start kind of looking at at the clientele or the student athletes that you're looking at in terms of dollar figures. And I've seen that with some particular companies. Then I think, then I think that's where, where you run into trouble. So the most important advice I have is if you're looking to get into, into this type of concept or starting your own agency is, is start small, right? Start small, start with, uh, you know, five or, or, or 10 clients that you work with and, and, and communicate, learn the background, learn the trade, and ultimately invest in those uh, student athletes you're working with to help them understand and, and to really place them in a positive situation where they have a great experience. And then from there you build. But when you just kind of start up a company and take on anyone and everyone and you've got 100 names and you don't even really know your clientele, but yet you're sending out hundreds of emails saying he's a perfect fit, then, then that's when I've seen some people getting in trouble. Yeah. Well, coach, I'm going to, I'm going to close on this. And it's a quote from you, from your Facebook, from that post. And it says, uh, invest in kids, love what you do and always remember to choose a job you love and you will, you will never work a day in your life. I thought that was, uh, that was right on the money. So well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. Coach. Thanks again. And, uh, Thank you for listening to another episode of The Soccer Phil Show. If you're enjoying The Soccer Phil Show and would like to be a sponsor, feel free to hit me up on any of the social media platforms. Um, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just send me a direct message and I'll get back to you ASAP. Um, also, if your player is trying to prepare to play at the next level, feel free to hit me up as well. And we have training sessions all summer long in small groups. I work with elite players in small groups. And um, I've, I've really helped a lot of players get to the next level by providing great training and great coaching.
consulting. So feel free to hit me up via social media and I'll do everything I can to help your player reach the next level. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Brian McMahon. I think he was an awesome guest. And um, until next time, next week, take care and God bless.